precious one, the message you're about to listen to will bless and enlighten you, and we are delighted about this. Ministering is Reverend Elijah, Pastor of Christ Glory Ministries. Stay tuned, and God bless you. the sower seed, the sower seed, and through the course of this series, there are a number of things we've come to realize, we've come to understand certain structures and certain processes and principles by which the kingdom of God functions, by which God's word is made productive, by which God's word is made effective in the lives of people that receive them rightly. And in our study, we notice that the master outlines four different kinds of people, or if you like, four different kinds of hearts, four different kinds of soils that receive the word. In the explanation of the parable to his disciples, he mentioned that the sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And that gives us a picture because at that particular point in time, he was a sower, right? And a farmer that sows seed looks forward to harvest. And it shows us one of the characteristics of our Father God, that he is a farmer in a sense. In that, when he brings forth his word, he looks forward to seeing it bring forth a harvest. You see, that is why the Word of God is designed and expected to bring forth the results in your life. And in order for those results to be evident, He takes the, the time and the pain to go into those factors that can be reasons why the Word of God becomes ineffective in people's lives. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, in the previous weeks, we looked at, we, we came to understand some of these uh, vital points that the seed is the word, the sower sows the seed, and the word of God, you know, uh, has seed characteristics. Then we saw the seed that fell by the wayside, and then we also saw the seed that fell on stony ground. And today, we want to look at the last two. The last two. Shall we open our Bibles to the book of Luke, chapter 8? The book of Luke, chapter 8. And just to give the overview, let's take a quick read from verse 5 down to verse 14, where we're going to continue from today. Luke, chapter 8. From verse 5, quickly, down to verse 14. Thank you, sir, for the opportunity. Luke chapter 8, verse 5 to 14. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. 
and some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that had ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that, that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. And that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to perfection. Hallelujah. So in verse 14 it says, that which fell among thorns are they, so he's talking about persons, talking about people and the kind of hearts that they receive the word of God with. So he says, and that which fell among thorns are they, which when they have heard. So from the explanation they account of the soul, we realize that God's word does not just work in a person's life independently. There is a need for the word to come and then the hearts that was going to receive it as well. So these are two primary factors for God's word to bring forth fruit. First of all, the seed comes forth and then the kind of hearts that will allow God's word to bring forth. He says, these are they that we fell among God that day, which when they have heard, go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Let me read how Mark puts it. Same book of Mark. Uh, let's go to the book of Mark, chapter 4. From verse 9, I read, it says, And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches. It says, and a lot of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. When we read in Luke, the Bible said that it, it brings no fruit to perfection. So, for those that hear the word that is sown among weeds, among thorny grounds, in a sense, the word of God begins to grow, but then no fruit comes to perfection. You see? So they hear the word of God alright. They might even be practicing it, but they do not bring forth fruit to perfection. It doesn't get all the way. And the reason the Bible is showing us, the reason for this is that the cares of this world, worry, and try, let me read from the 20th century new translation. So we can see something much clearer than what the King James presents to us. Hallelujah. 
Luke chapter 8, verse 14. The BB translation says, And those which went among thorns are those who have given hearing and go on their way, but they are overcome by cares and wealth in the pleasures of life, and they give no fruits. Praise God. These folk, the word of God that is sown, is choked by weeds and the thorns of worry. Anxiety. Bible says the cares of this world. They are worried about everything. There's anxiety, there's worry, and worry brings fear. So many times you will not be able to decouple worry from fear. There will be a bit of fear in uh, 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 when there's worry and when there's anxiety, anxiousness. These all go together with fear. Hallelujah. And the Bible shows us that worry and anxiety suffocate God's word from bringing forth results. You see, it suffocates God's word from producing results in a, in a person's life. All the times that the angels would appear to people, one of the things they would always say is fear not. That was the first statement that they were going to make. Fear not. Don't fear. Because the moment fear sets in, the environment or the atmosphere to receive God's word becomes polluted. It becomes locked. So many times when Jesus told people, fear not, have no fear. Fear nothing. Praise the Lord. So some people may hear the word of God all right. But instead of allowing the message of God's word to supplant the fear and the worry, because God's word brings you faith. God's word brings you hope. God's word brings you uh, uh, confidence. Not just a false confidence, a true real confidence. But these four, instead of allowing the word of God to supplant, replace the worry and the fear, they allow both of them to grow simultaneously. They still keep the word you minister to them, and they keep their worry as well. But it's not supposed to be so. One is supposed to re replace and supplant the other. What is the result? Choked seeds, choked fruit, choked plants that brings no fruit to perfection. He says these are days that are sown on, among thorny plants, among weeds. He said the ones that are burdened by the cares of this life, worry and anxiety. Hallelujah. Instead of exercising faith, worry and anxiety take over the heart. And then they end up acting out the worry and acting out the anxiety. And the result is that they get the, the, what they acted out and not the word of God. Because what you act out will be the result they're going to experience or you're going to have. So the word of God, though they have received it, though it's in their hearts, Bible says it's not able to bring any fruit to perfection. They know the word of God, they can quote it. But they are burdened by worries, embedded by anxieties, burdened by cares. You might be speaking to them, giving God's word to them. Maybe let's say about a situation that they might even be presently in. You might be talking to them, trying to, and they are hearing you all right. But then afterwards, when they move away, instead of maintaining focus on the word of God, that worry, that anxiety in there begins to fight the word. And you know how 
weeds affect crops that are meant to grow. Weeds compete with the desired crop for nutrients in the soil. And the same thing happens. The person begins to wonder, will the word of God come to pass? Oh, but this case is too bad. But I've been in this situation for so long. Is it really going to happen? Hmm. Worry and anxiety. The same book of Luke chapter 8 verse 14. I want to read from the NIV. The NIV says, The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries. Life's worries. So this gives you no room for a seed. Life's worries. Am I ever going to be prosperous? What's going to happen to me? Look at my mom. Look at my dad. I don't like the way they ended. Is that going to be the same? And you know, there are professional worries. There are people who have earned a degree in worrying. They must worry about every single thing. <laughs> and as long as you maintain such a heart and a consciousness, God's will can bring forth in your life. Because you also be breeding fear. Because worry and fear are twins, they go hand in hand. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, the Bible says to be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. Lift your hands for them. Hallelujah. Philippians 4, verse 6, the Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Be worried about nothing. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, make a request known unto God. First thing he tells you is be anxious for nothing. Do not worry. The world system tells you to worry, or the world system wants you to worry. But God says, no, not in my kingdom. First Peter chapter 5, the Bible says, casting all your cares on him, for he cares. Both of you can be doing their caring at the same time. Casting all your cares on him. The, these people, instead of casting their cares on him, they are rather overburdened with the cares of this life. Hallelujah. Be anxious for nothing. Your anxiety doesn't really change or solve the problem. Worry doesn't change or solve the problem. It only makes the problem bigger than it really is in your eyes. And if it keeps or maintains that picture in your mind, 
There'll be nothing that will be able to defeat it because you've given it the higher ground in your life. Hallelujah. Praise God. Matthew chapter 6. So you may be thinking that worry or anxiety is not, not a big deal, but Jesus says it's a big deal. Because Jesus says those things, they choke the word of God from producing in your life. You know, there are people who don't have a good sleep because of worry, because of anxiety. They stay awake all night crying and weeping. Some of you, or you know, some of such people may, might even be deacons or might even be, uh, maybe even ministers, maybe pastors. But they might be staying up all night crying and worrying. Maybe because there's no provision at the moment for something else or something needed. Or maybe there's a deadline that they're supposed to meet. Why do we think that it is normal to worry when there's a need of a provision and it's not present yet? Do we not see in the scriptures God's provision? Do we not see that our God is a God greater than all impossibility? That within all things are possible? In fact, when the people of Israel one time cried for meat and there was no meat in the desert, God made birds bring meat from all of God, God made birds come in abundance and present themselves as meat and pile themselves until they were heaps. Countless occasions God has come through for people in the, in the Old Testament and in the New. Countless occasions His word has never failed. It never fails. So why worry? You know, it would have been maybe a bit logical or a bit justified if worry is able to solve problems, but it never does. It never does. March to the 6th, I'm going to read from verse 24. It says, Jesus speaking, it says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the word mammon is a Syriac word. Syriac simply means the language that was spoken by Christians is an Aramaic language that was often used by Christians in those times. So, it's a Syriac term that was used to refer to the God of riches, an idol among the pagans. That was called the God of Riches. His name, the name given to him was Mammon. The Jews often used to, re, you know, refer to or use that name to refer to wealth or riches. 
So Jesus says, you cannot serve God and mammon. Hallelujah. 25, it says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Now look at what he says again and then read it into the following verse. He says, no man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. He cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, Therefore, I say unto you, meaning that because you serve God, I say unto you. That's what Jesus means. He says, you can't serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, because you serve God, I say unto you. Now watch it. He says, take no thought for your life. Because you serve God, take no thought for your life. Because you serve God, take no thought for your life. Those that were serving mammon will have to do those things, but he says, not for you. Because you serve God, take no thought for your life. Take no thought for your life. Let me tell you something. God is not intimidated or in fear that we will hold up his word and then he will not be able to produce. Never. Somehow, uh, too many of us try to lay our insecurities or human frailties on a holy and a perfect and an omnipotent God. So we are tempted to think that because men and humans fail, there might be a tendency that God might just fail when you need him most. Never. Never. And you see the reason why people's faith becomes weak? Because they are not able to establish the integrity of God. They are not able to establish the weight of this person called God. Because until you come to a place of absolute trust, and absolute dependence, and absolute faith in Him, you'll be tempted many times to want to look for backup plans. said, this is one major reason why the word of God is unfruitful in the lives of people. It brings no fruit, no fruit to perfection. That's therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Oh my goodness. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not. Neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? Which of you? Whether your stature physically, or your stature financially. Jesus says, worry can students. Instead, it's going to be choking and fighting the word of God from bringing forth fruit in your life. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider you of the field, how they grow, they throw down, either they spin. Yet I say unto you that even Solomon, not his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Take no thoughts. Take no thought. Allow God be God. 
want to play God. In every family, there can only be one father. <laughs> and he is our father. He's not a father that needs help to provide for your needs. In our world, many find themselves in situations where they need to come to a place where they have to provide for the family or assist in the upkeep of the family, not in our kingdom. tells you worry comes in the form of thoughts. Anxiety begins in the form of thoughts. He says, take no thought saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Take no thoughts. Say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed? So he's telling you thoughts speak. He says to you, take no thought saying, Take no thoughts. Now let me rephrase it for you. Take no thought that is saying, what shall we eat? Take no thought that is saying, what shall we drink? Take no thought that is saying, wherewithal shall we be clothed? Thoughts are speaking. Thoughts speak. Thoughts can come from the voices of the devil, the voices of the world, the voices of circumstances. He says, take no thought saying, take no thought that is saying to you all these things. But it says, but all these things do the Gentiles see. The unsaved see. For your heavenly father, knoweth. This is the thing. It's not that God does not know what you need. You see, Sometimes in my interaction with children of God, I come to a place where I feel like, you know, from their communication, that they don't really know God. And God has made himself, revealed himself to us in his word. But because we are too busy to want to or to take that discipline to know a God we claim to love, we end up being burdened by things that we are not supposed to be burdened by. We end up being defeated by things we are not supposed to be defeated by. How do you think that makes God feel? I'll tell you how it makes him feel. You remember the story of the prodigal son who came from a wealthy home? And went into a far land and wasted all his expenses. The Bible says of his father that his father kept on frequently standing at the top of the house and watching to see if his son would return. So, though his son was not even in the house, his thoughts were on the son far away. That is even a physical and limited mortal man and an illustration. The very day his son returned, he quickly welcomed him. more an omniscient God that sees into the very details of your day-to-day affairs and your tomorrow and desires that you would give his word that place in your life 
You know, a lot of times people feel like, God didn't come through for me. God didn't do this for me. You don't understand it. God and his word are one. You and one didn't allow God to do what he wanted to do in your life. Because you didn't allow his word. God operates by his word. God functions by his word. When you resist his word, you are resisting God. When you reject his word, you've rejected God. When you doubt his word, you've doubted God. Do you now see that really you are actually responsible for some of the things that you have been <laughs> facing? Because you downplay the importance of God's word so much that you miss out on the very tool by which God effects change and transformation in men's lives. We can never overemphasize the importance and the power and the importance of God's word. He says, For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. He knows already. 33. He says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Many times when this scripture is quoted, people's minds go to do right things or live right or do right. How can you do right when you are not right? How can you live right when, first of all, you are not right? It begins from somewhere. It's like expecting a, expecting a pencil to produce the marks of a pen. Expecting a pencil to produce ink. A pencil that contains lead. You're expecting it to write and produce ink. That's absurd. How do you live right when you are first of all not right? And the only person who makes right is God by salvation through Jesus. of Mark chapter 4. He says, the deceitfulness of riches. Hallelujah. Choked by the weeds and the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches. Choked by the weeds and the thorns of the deceitfulness of riches. This other group of people. So, who they overcome by cares, that's worries, anxieties, that's included that in one session. Then the next is this the deceitfulness of riches. It's actually a combination with the lots of other things entering in. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches, not riches. Not riches that overcome the person, the deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches, deceit, deception, the deception that money is the answer to all your needs in life, the deceitfulness of riches, the deception 
the deception of money is the greatest. The deception of money is the answer or the solution to all of life issues. The deception that money is omnipotent. That is the deceitfulness of riches. Deception exists both among the poor and the rich. It's not in just one side of one side of the equation. It exists among both. Hallelujah. A rich person may be an deception that if I have money, I don't need God. What do I need God for? Until he gets his his at gunpoint. I say an armor, but then he remembers that his money in the bank can't fly and save him there. Nor his 24 carat billion watch can't save him there. A rich person will be on deception that he doesn't need God, doesn't even need faith for working or living in divine health. Because he's going to eat well and live well, doesn't need God, doesn't need all these things we're talking about. Until he finds himself at the mercy of a terrible disease that medical science has given up on. Until his doctors tell him that only a miracle can save you at this time. The deceitfulness of riches. And because that deception exists, they give no heed to the word. They may be hearing it all right and believing some portion. But to an extent, they hold their own conviction. And God's will become unfruitful as a result of that in their lives. You know, the Bible tells us a story of such a person in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, the story of King Asa. King Asa, you know, there's a little Bible tells about him. The Bible shows that at, at a point, he wanted to uh, win a battle against a particular people. And prior to now, he would have contacted or consulted God for you know, guidance or on the next step to take. But this time, he had money. So he called another king, said, come now, I'll give you so-and-so. Join me in the next battle against this people. And then the Lord sent a prophet to him to tell them, because you did not consult the Lord your God, that person you even called to come and help you, God had planned to give that person's whole estate into your hands. But because you didn't, it's been taken from you. You know what King Isa did? He punished the prophet for speaking the word of God to him. He punished him. He put him in prison. Second Chronicles chapter 16. He put the prophet in prison. When money climbs your head, when money climbs your head, he put the king in prison. He punished the, the prophet. The prophet, sorry. He didn't change. You know what happened to him later on? Let's read verse 4 to 13 of 2 Chronicles 6. 
he got sick. He developed a sickness in his feet. Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 12. The Bible says, and, in, and Asa, in the 39th year of his reign, was diseased in his feet. <laughs> Until his disease was exceeding great. You know the deception I talked about here? He had money. Call the physicians, call the best people around. He doesn't need God in his mind. Call the physicians. How much? How much do you think? I'll pay you. Come, come, come. See that then treat it. Same thing. Take it away. Treat it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Get fast. Get, get, be, be, be fast with it. They couldn't. He spent and spent and spent. They couldn't. Because there's no amount of Panadol, there's no amount of disinfectant that can disinfect an evil spirit. There's no amount of physical disinfectant that you can use to wash out a demonic or a negative source of a disease or a sickness. Bible says, verse 12, and Asa in the 39th of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers and died in the one and fortieth year of his reign. The deceitfulness of riches. The deceitfulness of riches. Hallelujah. It's not that riches are not good. It's a deception that it, a man allows it to bring into his life until money becomes so exalted that it becomes an idol in his life. That was his God's will bring for no fruits. And you know, like I told you, this is not only for the rich. The poor have this issue as well. Because when they exalt money to the point where it's an idol in their lives, when they are hearing God's word, in one section of their hearts, money is the answer. In another section, they want to believe God's word. Now, the two can't coexist. One has to have the, the, the full, full role of ground on the soil. The Bible says it chokes the way. And it brings no fruit to fruition. For example, you find somebody who says, you know, has received the word that he's going to get a job or God is going to job to bring for a job. Then finally, he is called for an interview. Then on his way to the interview, he actually gets there, he sees the other interviewees, right? And then they all go to the interview. Then when they are all working out of the company, he realized that two of the people or one of the guys has a nice car and he had to come by public transport. So he goes home, let's say, two weeks later, the give him a, a notice that the other guy was big, he wasn't big. He said, I said it's money. <laughs> he does not allow, he doesn't act on the word. That can produce a turnaround. Or that can produce the, a manifestation of a greater, or a greater or better provision for him. He resorts to his old ways. He resorts to his ideology. He chose the way. 
the next point from there, had he held on to the word, could have been something much, much greater. The deceitfulness of riches. Hallelujah. Praise God. There's a reason why God has been ineffective in the hearts of many. Matthew 13, as we prepare to close. I'm going to quickly run through how to have a good heart before we close. But let's look at Matthew 13. Verse 23. So I just read from 22 where we just uh, look into. 23 is 22. Is he also receives it among the thorns, like we mentioned. Is it that hear the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful? And you know, because, like I told you, the deception, the, the, the deceitfulness of riches. The ideology of money is everything. There are some who also get into a, 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 a chase to pursue money. So much so that the word of God here is unfruitful. 23. But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it. Last week we said that faith, or, uh, uh, faith also brings understanding. In Hebrews 11 verse 3 we read that the Bible says, By faith or through faith we understand. Through faith we understand. So through faith understanding is also brought forth. Through faith understanding is also experience or heart. He said, but he that received seed into the good ground, if he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruits, some an hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Glory to God. We're going to look at certain traits of a good soil, a good heart, and at the same time also how to have such a good heart, right? Or how to use assessors, how to make the transitions. Glory to God. There are four key features that were mentioned in the good soil or the good heart. And when you study Mark's account, Luke's account, and Matthew's account, you come to realize or see these four features that were mentioned. Because when you put them together, you are able to see all the other things that maybe one writer might have left out. Now, the first one is what we see in Matthew 13. He says that the one who hears the word and understands it. So these are like the keys or the principles to the word bringing fruits. A hundredfold or sixtyfold in your life or in a person's heart. These are the keys. First thing is understanding. Now, I mentioned last week that understanding also comes by faith. There's something else that also provides understanding. Understanding is granted by the Spirit. Understanding is granted by the Spirit. Luke 24, verse 45. Let's watch it quickly. Our time is almost up. Luke 24. Let me start reading from verse... Thirty-five, Luke twenty-four, verse thirty-five. 
And as they that speak, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as you see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they yet believed not for joy, he says they believed not for joy. Because true belief should, should be accompanied by joy. Rejoicing in joy. How can you believe certain things about God in your life and not be joyful? Then that would, that would probably be a, an incomplete belief. Because tell me how many of you will not be full of joy if you suddenly hear that your brother or relative or your dad has been appointed you know, a very high position that is definitely going to come with much riches. They're going to probably be in prayer party that evening. There's going to be joy. So joy is also one of the traits of faith. One of the traits of firm belief. There will be joy about your life. I'm full of joy and most, most of the time. Deep down in my heart, there's joy always. Because I'm convinced about God. I'm convinced about His Word. There's a joy that you can't steal from my life. Because it's based on this solid, fair conviction of the person of God and of His Word. Hallelujah. So they didn't believe for joy because if they believed, they would have rejoiced to see their master who was there now arose, you know, risen again. That was the natural response that should follow that you have believed, but they didn't. How, how similar it is to people that sometimes receive a prophetic word or study goes when then they are still mm, unmoved. I can tell you probably didn't believe by your reaction. Yeah. Because we believe there will be joy, there will be a stay, there will be a rejoicing. Sometimes when I'm studying God's word on my own, I rejoice. Because all he says is true. Verse 41. And while they be, yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of an honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was here with you, that all things are fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 45. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. You see now. Then open he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. So up until now, there's a, a great possibility that many of them fell into either one of the different hearts or categories. Because one thing is mentioned here, they did not understand scriptures. How did Jesus do that? John chapter 20. John chapter 20 from verse 19. The same account. But John, on the other hand, gives us the spiritual part or the what Jesus actually did that opened their understanding that same evening. Now, John 20, verse 19. Bible says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, when the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. I follow it. This is uh, John's account of what happened that night as well. And you will see something. 20. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands and side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Now, over here, it says they were glad. The detail of Luke reveals to us what happened before they became glad. He gives us a summary of the end result of it. Are you following? Now, look at this. 21. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so sent I you. 22. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receiving the Holy Ghost. Are you seeing this? He breathed on them, receiving the Holy Ghost. That was how the understanding was opened to understand the scriptures. So understanding comes also by the Spirit. Hallelujah. And when you are born again, the Spirit of God lives in you. You receive the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God lives in you. You don't lack understanding into the Word of God. You hear with your heart. You know, the Passion Translation puts the rendering that the King James puts when it says, let him that had ears hear. The Passion Translation says, listen with your heart and you will understand. As believers, we listen with our hearts to the Word of God. We don't just listen with our physical ears, we listen with our hearts. That's where revelation comes. That's where understanding comes. So, first key, understanding. And it comes by the Spirit through faith also. Number two, Mark the 4, verse 15. Mark 4, verse 15. Rather, let's come down to verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word, and receive it. He didn't just say receive the word and bring food. He mentioned something. The word was what? Receive it. They do what? They, they hear the word and receive it. Glory to God. Now, the word receive used in Mark 4, verse 20 there, is the word in the Greek which is paradikomai. Paradikomai. The word dekomai naturally means to consciously accept something or consciously receive something. Whether good or bad, just to deliberately receive something. But paradikomai means to receive something and or to receive or confirm something with approval. I see this. It means to receive something with approval. To receive or to confirm something with approval. It means to receive something and say, yes, this is so. Yes, this is true. With approval. Paradecomai. Jesus could have just said, those that receive the seed and bring forth food are those that decomai the word. You can just use that. They decomai, they receive the word. No. He said, they are the ones who paradecomai. In other words, they receive and say, yeah, this is true. They receive with approval. They are not receiving and still doubting, could it be true? They are not receiving and saying, oh, okay, nice and sick. They receive and say, this, this is the word, this is what I needed, this is it, this is it, this is it. That's their attitude. They receive with approval, paradigmites. Hallelujah. To receive and to endorse as true. That's what he means. 
So these four kind of people who are receiving and wondering whether this thing will be true. But they receive and say, yes, this is the answer. This message is what I needed. Yes, what you are saying to me is going to happen. I'm born again. Divine health are working me. Yes, I accept. That is true. That is true. That's my reality. That's my truth. I'm the head and not the tail. Yes, I accept. That is true. Not I'm the head and, 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 and not the tail. And it's true. If... Glory to God. Jesus wanted to establish a principle. So the next thing is to receive. And I've told you how to receive. To receive with approval. Then, Luke chapter 8, verse 17. That contains the, the third and final. And then Luke 8, verse 17. Verse, verse 15. Verse 15. Look at verse 15. It says, But that on the good ground are they which are honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So, in an honest and good heart, that honest and good heart is a summary of these four keys we are mentioning. Look at it. It says, Having heard the word, keep it. Keep it. And bring forth food with patience. The word keep there is katiko, which means to hold fast. To hold fast. Don't let go of it. To hold fast. Like the Bible says in Proverbs the 4, it says, take fast hold of instruction. Proverbs verse 13. Take fast hold of instruction. Do not let it go. That's what it means here. Katiko. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul speaks about holding fast the word. Holding fast. In Hebrews 10, verse 20, the Bible says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. So to kateko means to hold fast without wavering. So these folk, they held fast to the word without shaking, without allowing doubt or anything to ruffle them. They held fast onto it. My goodness. My goodness. It's exciting that I'm, that I'm going to hold on to God's word. My goodness. And the beauty of it is that it's going to come true. It's going to, it's going to manage. It's going to produce. There's no doubt about it. Oh my goodness. And the last thing he said is patience. They hold fast and keep and bring forth food with patience. See, patience. Having that consciousness and constant assurance that you're going to reap what the word of God has said in you and in your life. That constant consciousness and constant assurance. He brings forth food with patience. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God's word is going to bring forth fruits in your life. Say, me, say, my heart is a good soil. My heart is a good soil. I understand God's word. I 
receive it with approval. I hold fast the word of God and I bring forth food with patience. I'm constantly assured of the veracity of God's word and that it's going to bring forth all the things about in my life. Instead of acting out worry, I act out the way. Instead of acting out fear, I act out the way. Instead of acting out cares and worrying, I act out faith in the word of God. Hallelujah. Praise God. The Bible says that this time, this one brought forth foods. 30 fold, 60 fold, 100 fold. And that is going to be your story. This day forward. In the name of the Lord Jesus.